politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Just a note, these conversations were recorded live at Web Summit, so our audio isn't as clear as usual. We'll be back to our usual standards soon, and thanks for sticking with us. We hope you enjoy the discussions anyway. Welcome to a bonus episode of What Could Go Right. I'm Emma Varvalukas, Executive Director of the Progress Network. We're hard at work putting together season two, which will premiere in the spring. And in the meantime, we have a number of bonus episodes for you that'll come out in the coming weeks. Recently, Zachary and I went to Web Summit, a conference that brought together 30,000 people and startups of all sizes to Lisbon, Portugal. While we were there, we sat down to talk with a few people for the podcast whose companies and work are trying to make the future better. They're game changers in their respective fields, and all of them are aiming to impact society positively. Our first conversation was with Donald Baird, founder of Block Power, a company that retrofits residential buildings to wean them off dirty energy and become green. They operate in New York City and are hoping to go national soon. So we're with Donald Baird here at Web Summit, uh, catching up with him, talking about all things buildings, green, sustainable, tech land, all the catchwords you need for the reality that we crave. So Donald, how did you get into doing all of this? How did you get into retrofitting buildings and becoming the, the green entrepreneur of fuel and internet? How did that all happen? So uh, it's great to be here with you guys. Portugal's fun. Um, so I, I, I started out in green energy. I was, it was my assignment from the Obama administration. I was a senior staffer for uh, the first Obama campaign. I did seven primary states um, and then the general election in, in Pennsylvania. And once we won, um, I'd fallen in love with my wife. I didn't want to leave her in New York and move to D.C. I'm not a D.C. person. And so I asked them what kind of assignments I could take on from New York. And what we came up with was, um, as an outside consultant to the U.S. Department of Energy, uh, during the stimulus. So if you guys remember back 2009, we were investing $6.5 billion, Vice President Biden, President Obama, um, U.S. Department of Energy were investing $6.5 billion in green buildings through the stimulus, the 2009 stimulus. And so my job was to help supervise and implement that green buildings program. Some of it worked, some of it did not work. And so 10 years later, here I am still trying to figure out how to make uh, the greening of buildings in America a reality, because it's important, right? I mean, 30% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions come from American buildings, so we, we have to reduce emissions from buildings, and that's what we're about. What I was going to ask, why buildings? Because it might not be something that's on people's minds. That's like a huge, you know, generator of uh, 
something that uses fossil fuels a lot. You're saying that actually, one, it's a huge contributor, and two, it's easily done. Is that true with the tech? Yeah, so I mean, cars are sexier, I guess, depending on how you feel about Tesla and Elon Musk and all that stuff. <laughs> People get very excited about electric vehicles and um, changing the transportation sector and greening it. But buildings, there's 125 million buildings across America, plus or minus, and they all use gas or oil. They mostly use fossil fuels. In certain parts of the South, people are running on electricity anyway. Um, and then the, the utility industry that feeds energy to those buildings burns coal or gas. Um, and so we need to shift all of that to renewables. We don't have to invent anything new, right? We don't need a new moonshot from Google X. There's existing all-electric technology that allows us to, to turn buildings into Teslas. We can make buildings smart, healthy, green, all electric, um, and we can do that with existing uh, heat pump technology. Um, and so we just need to go building to building for 125 million buildings and install it. And voila, we've reduced 30% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. And so, so why, why aren't people talking about this more? So we're sitting here while uh, COP is going on in Glasgow. I guess you're go- you're going after you're here. Mm-hmm. But President Biden's big address really had to do with methane capture and gas. I mean, a lot of the programs that are that are talked about have to do much more with what people think of when they think of emissions, right? They think of the energy industry, they think of the oil industry, they think of transportation, as you just said. Why, why, why isn't more attention given to what you're talking about? Is it just not sexy enough? I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's not sexy enough. So, like, so like Justin Timberlake, we are, we are trying to bring sexy back to green buildings. I think that, you know, the president announced uh, methane leak reduction. Like, they want to reduce methane emissions across the world, which is great. We're running gas pipelines in New York and across America up to all of our homes to to run gas into our building so we can burn it, so we can cook with it, so we can heat our showers with it. Um, and those gas pipeline infrastructure, it's pretty leaky. We have a partnership with a tech company called Aclima. I think they're here. And they have like Google Street View cars where they have methane leak detectors on top of the car. And if you drive around Brooklyn, I've been in the car and seen it, there's far more methane in Brooklyn, like, or in Manhattan, when your kids are walking to school, like, they're, like, breathing in leaky methane from gas pipelines. So I was excited to see that the president announced that we're going to lead the world in reducing methane and gas leaks. This is why I don't live in Brooklyn. (laughs) Where do you live? I live in Manhattan. Well, you got a lot of gas. No, I don't live in Brooklyn, and now I'm worried about my health. I'm going to send you guys some photos of the maps. There's black carbon... There's ozone, there's methane, there's nitrogen dioxide. If you guys have gas stoves, nitrogen dioxide is slowly poisoning you and your family from your gas stove. Good to know. Um, I have induction. Okay, there you go. So we need to we need everybody to have induction, all electric everything. Um, and part of that um, is the president's focus on reducing methane in the gas system. And then part of that is the vice president and the secretary of energy did come out to JFK yesterday where I met with them which was amazing. And uh, we did talk about heat pumps and moving buildings to all electric. And so that was 
one of the two major initiatives that they announced yesterday from the White House was globally, President Biden talked about reducing gas usage around the world. And in America, we talked about the solution. And so the vice president talked about making all electric buildings is the solution and the response to reducing methane across the world. And so all this needs to be subsidized, right? I mean, this is the only way this happens is if there is some degree of... uh the, the pain of transitioning from an old system to a new system has to be offset. Otherwise, people won't do it, right? That's exactly the role of the American government. It's supposed to make long-term plans and make some investments to help the private sector understand where to invest infrastructure dollars and pension money and long-term money to help people make this transition. So we do need some federal rebates and subsidies to kind of get the snowball rolling down the hill. But, you know, Goldman Sachs, our biggest investor, they announced uh, $750 billion investment in infrastructure. They have loaned us, I think, like $70 million bucks to get this going, develop a new asset class for clean energy. And so Wall Street's ready to go. We got a new partnership with Apple, a new partnership with Google. Silicon Valley's ready to go. People are, people are ready to work on this and move America's buildings to all electric energy. And talk a little bit about, so we talked about the climate section of the, the business, but there's also a racial equity section that we haven't touched on. Explain a little bit how that works and also how you balance, you know, this is a business, it's for profit, it's also a social enterprise. So how do you walk that fine line? So we're a public benefits corporation, which is a new classification of corp- corporation. Um, it means that in our corporate charter and operating documents, none of our venture capital investors can ever fire me or sue me because I did not maximize their for-profit returns as financial investors. I, as the leader of the company, have the ability to, to balance the need for financial returns with climate impact and with economic development impact and workforce development. And so legally, like my job is to balance those three things in the day-to-day operations of our corporation and to report on this. So it's a new kind of model. So that's cool. And I'm glad our VCs didn't, you know, force us to change. And some of them were were quite thrilled, frankly. Um, So that's one part of it. I mean, we do have a new project with the de Blasio administration the mayor has um, hired us. We want a contract. It's $35 million to train and hire uh, 1,000 low-income individuals in the city's poorest neighborhoods. These are neighborhoods that have been neglected. It's Brownsville, Brooklyn, where Mike Tyson is from, where he grew up. Terrible neighborhood. It's uh, East and West Harlem. It's Hunts Point, um, which has the, one of the highest crime rates in the city. Jamaica, Queens, highest crime rate in the city. And so in these neglected communities, we've hired so far about 600 um, people who need work and who have been involved in incidents of gun violence. This is a way of reducing crime, but we're training them on how to install all electric heating and cooling technology in New York City buildings. We're training them on how to do solar panels, how to install Wi-Fi so that they and their kids and grandparents have internet access for free during the pandemic through these rooftop antennas. Um, And so, you know, the the idea is how do you make money while uh, helping people reduce greenhouse gas emissions and get connected to the internet? We think there's ways to do that. So that's what we're about. It seems like something that's—it's almost like too good to be true. Like make money and you do good. But it's—it's it's possible. Maybe the winds are blowing in that direction. Generally, do you think that we're going to see more and more companies that are set up like that? Well, we—I mean, our company—we've—I um, think we've grown something like 1,200% this year. We got selected as one of the top 50 companies in America by CNBC as a disruptive startup. And 
part of the reason is not that we're so great, but that there is a mega trend across America and across the world of moving to more responsible social and climate impact. And so if we're going to build a digital platform to help cities and states and utility companies and individual building owners become greener, become more responsible socially, um, if you build a digital platform to help everybody do that, then you should have venture-like returns and be able to build, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. And so, you know, venture capital investors go where the money is. And we think the money is in helping people, you know, not fry the planet. So, so that's, what, that's what we're about. Are you unique? And I mean that in the sense of you don't really want you to be unique, right? You want 50 of you. You want 100. You want a lot of people, a lot of different companies in a lot of different cities and a lot of different states and a lot of different countries doing the same thing. What does it look like to have a Google for green energy? What does it look like to have an Uber for green energy? Right. That's everywhere, all around the world, to connect to every building to help every single building in the world have the opportunity to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 30%. That's what we're building. So we're working with Jeff Bezos and the Earth Fund and his team. They're going to give us money to build a digital map of every building in America. And every building in America is going to get a free plan on how to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions for their specific building. Then we're going to work with the Biden-Harris administration to train and hire tens of thousands of young people who are coming out of college on fire about climate change. Forgive the term, but, you know, planet's fucking burning, so who can pull punches? We're going to train those people to go door-to-door and building the building and use the, their smartphones to go through the green construction plants to upgrade the buildings, and we're going to go building to building and green all the buildings. So at scale, I mean, we want to, we want to be a hyper-aggressive tech monopoly just like everybody else. It's just we want to do it on behalf of saving the planet and creating some jobs for low-income people. Well, that's a good place to end it, or start it, as the case may be. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a tech baron like everybody else. I'm hyper-aggressive, and we're going to do this. That's cool. Thanks. Big thanks to Donnell Baird for taking the time for us. Hey, it's Emma. They say you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do in your daily life, how are you going to make the time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal an actual reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts and a top three history podcast. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. Fans of the show are so passionate that you even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who have listened to every single one of the show's more than a thousand and counting episodes. All of the episodes are informative, interesting, and best of all, always under 15 minutes. So go ahead, learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. We're the hosts of Political Breakdown, a show that pulls back the curtain on the people and forces driving politics in the Golden State from KQED in San Francisco. 
And now, ahead of the 2024 election, we are bringing you even more. More conversations with the top movers and shakers at the state capitol and in national politics. But the dyslexia was the greatest gift that ever happened to me. Nothing was rote. Nothing was linear. I had to work around things, work differently, see the world differently. And I say that to young people and say, know how important your participation is. And I think it's a time for this generation to put forward new voices. More reporting with analysis. It's been a very good session for organized labor. but Hot labor summer. Hot labor summer. It's turning out to be a nice fall as well. More politics with personality. I've sweat election day my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) We we hear that. Political breakdown daily. Every weekday, we'll break down what's happening and why it matters. With news that informs, surprises, and maybe even inspires you. Political Breakdown goes daily starting January 8th. We also spoke to Bobby Healy, who's the founder of MANA, a delivery company that delivers everything from books to coffee by drone. They're operating out of Ireland right now, but you might be seeing them in your neighborhood as well soon. Don't think so. So drone deliveries, commercial drone deliveries, raises all these, you know, if you're of a certain generation in, in the United States, you think about the Jetsons, you know, the new world where everything is, is, is automatic and robotic. Um, so is this thing a lot of people really want? or Because I know a lot of people get a little freaked out by the idea of... Uh, For sure there's question marks over, does the world want the Paw Patrol version of drone delivery? But 98% of respondents to surveys, independent surveys, want and will pay for drone delivery. And fun fact, we already deliver to 40% of the homes where we operate on a repeat basis. And that 40% number compared to road-based delivery, it's nearly three times the average use rate of road-based delivery. So early days of the 10,000 people that we serve, very strong signs that people want them. What do they like about it? I like the speed and convenience. It's obviously hugely entertaining. I mean, <laughs> yes. the first drone delivery is like a circus coming to town. <laughs> um, and everyone's out, right? It's, it's so viral. Like, literally the whole town comes out for the first delivery. And then every road, as we light up a new road, everyone's out. They're filming, they're tweeting, Instagramming. Uh, but then it, it quickly becomes, I won't say boring, but when all of our users now, when they use the service, they don't come out of their house anymore. We, we feel a little bit sad about it, but they, they stay in their house and they track the drone. And we give them a live feed of the drone as it flies. They track it. And, you, you, you know, the moment the drone has dropped the, the package, they get a notification. That's when you see their door opening and they come out and grab it, you know. So it becomes very normal very quickly, but what they love about it, it's cheaper than road-based delivery. They don't have to tip the drone. Uh, the drone doesn't have COVID. The drone doesn't eat some of your French fries. You know, there's all sorts of good things about robots that, yes, there's the, also the dark side. Does it take jobs away? Does it make noise? What about my beautiful sky? All those things. But the fact is, is that we're better for the environment. We're quieter than the road. We're quieter than the electric car driving past. So once people actually experience it, all the doubts go away, the questions go away. I mean, that is an interesting question about the job question, right? This is true of autonomous vehicles, it's true of drone deliveries. Um, it probably is not helped by the fact that Amazon is aggressively moving into the drone space and they don't tend to have a public image of 
wanting to help. Um, and I'm not saying that that is the right public image, it just is. And then people get worried about surveillance and not relevant to anything you're doing. I'm just saying these are yeah. these are where people enter into. But I guess in rural areas, which are having a hard time maintaining population anyway, the job issue is much less acute, right? No, the job, the job issue is definitely there. And, and the success of Amazon is the failure of local businesses. It's literally that simple. But the, we work with a local bookshop in, in one of the towns where we operate. That local bookshop has a better product than Amazon has. You can get any of their books and have it arrive in your house in less than five minutes without needing to leave your house. So we, we actually were certain that giving a community, be it rural or suburban or high density suburban, giving them that infrastructure where they can just move stuff around turns every physical business into an online business because we can do all the transactions online. We don't charge those suppliers, by the way. We charge the consumer delivery fee. So, no, it's going to be a massive creator of jobs. Not so great if you're a delivery you know, guy, but otherwise it's great. And it'll empower local businesses to compete with the big guys. I mean, if somebody owns parts of a three independent bookshops, that would be great to be able to just... Yeah, imagine, imagine if you're a website, imagine if you could reach 50 square miles of customers in three minutes for free. How would you change your business? Right. So explain to us, you're operating out of Ireland right now, right? That's yeah. So And Wales. Yeah, no, we have a R&D center in Wales. We don't fly in Wales. Okay. So for those of us who are not in Ireland and will not experience drone deliveries probably in the near future, explain to us how it works so we can imagine this. Yeah, so you get our app, you discover all the local stores that have drone delivery, you go into normal basket process, you purchase you know, your coffee or your book or whatever it is that you want. Uh, we, we're monitoring the weight and volume of your basket. That's the only thing we do is we monitor weight and volume. You do the transaction, we notify you when that cargo has been loaded on the aircraft. You get your flight slot, so we tell you we will arrive in two minutes and 12 seconds. Like We tell you to the second when we're going to arrive. It's not like we'll be there soon, it's literally to the second. And we're, we're usually within about five or six seconds of our planned time. So the experience is you get a notification when we've taken off, you track the aircraft, in real time you see where the aircraft is, get another notification when we're overhead, about 30 seconds away from your house, we say, nearly there, you know, look up, if you want to look up. And then another notification when the bag's on the ground, and that's it. And as I said earlier, most of our customers don't even come out of their house now until the bag's on the ground. It's just, it's delivery now, not even drone delivery. It's just, it's, it's so simple, it's so natural. It's, and I know as wild as it sounds, it makes so much more sense than a three-ton vehicle burning diesel with a human being in it that's doing a job that makes no sense for humans to do. So maybe I can't order 10 books at once, but if it's really fast, I could order five and then five. No, no, we, we, we do that. So we have that all the time. So we have, if you order, so lots of families, they won't agree on what to eat, right? So we have families all the time ordering from two or three different restaurants. And they just get it. We call it an armada, which is three drones, three drones, three different restaurants, or a squadron, which is five. So you can order from which you want. And the only difference is we queue them all up 60 seconds outside of each other. So you're all going to have to wait 60 seconds for each other before you start eating. So is Ireland unusually friendly at a regulatory level to allowing this? Europe is. Europe is very advanced. Europe is very cohesive, very forward thinking, and very pragmatic. 
view of the drone future. And then Ireland in particular is very business friendly. It's a hugely business friendly country, almost like the Israel of Europe, right? Um, but the regulator in Ireland particularly has been pushing the envelope as far as pace goes. And, and that's what's enabled the industry to work in Ireland. And what we do in Ireland, we have a European-wide license. So what we're doing in Ireland, we could go anywhere in Europe and do the same system. And are others doing it? No, it's us and Alphabet are the only two companies that, that I feel are uh, ready to scale or in a position to scale. And will the regulatory framework in other countries, you know, whether it's the United States, let alone Asia, be much less friendly? I mean, you do, obviously the China, the Alibaba and Amazon in the United States are testing out various forms of drone delivery, but I, yeah. there, there are some real governments get kind of nervous. I think the U.S. is one of the slower uh, markets, and it's probably a couple of years behind Europe. There's lots of other markets, Middle East particularly, Latin America, very, very forward-thinking. And what's going to happen, I mean, it's, it's a political thing, really. Right, it's not a technology. Not at all, no. The problems are all solved, technically. What's going to happen is... USA is going to see our progress. We're, we're commercializing. We're going to be reaching about a million customers in the next 12 months with drone delivery. It's going to be as normal as a ham sandwich, right? And, and it's going to... The drone is bringing the ham sandwich. Yeah, of course. We do that also. But the thing is, there's going to be a lot of questions asked in the United States. Why aren't American companies leading? Why, aren't, why can't I have a ham sandwich by drone in America? Or a cheese sandwich? Whatever your favorite sandwich is. And that's going to... That's going to force the change to happen. So it'll just be a correction of pace in the U.S., and that'll happen in the next 24 months. And then the technology itself, the hardware, right? You you make most of what you yeah, you make, make it the, all. Yeah, all the software, all the hardware. We make the even the carbon fiber airframe. We make that. But, and the batteries, we don't. The batteries in sales, we import. But a, a drone, our, our drones are. You know, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but they're not the prettiest looking drones you've ever seen. I doubt people are, are using you for aesthetics. They're not really. You know, they're not buying them. We just operate them. And, and all you should care about when you think about drones is are they safe? Because safety is what enables scale. You can't. We're going to be doing a million or ten million flights a day. All we really care about is how safe the aircraft is. That's it. That's all that matters. But wouldn't you, at some point, I mean, it'd be unusual for you to expand and be both a service and a hardware manufacturer. I think in this case it's the sensible thing. A full, a full stack is to basically we can we can sign up a large chain or a large brand. Like we've signed up Coca-Cola, for example, right? And we can say to Coca-Cola, we're going to roll out everywhere in all of these markets, and you don't need to worry about anything. We take care of the capital rollout, the capital, the manufacturing, the operation, the service, everything, and we protect your brand as well. And we don't get between you and your customer. It, it's important for us to be very clear about being a full-stack delivery company, not a consumer brand, which is what we are. And what does make a drone safe? I mean, should we be worrying about them falling on our heads in the middle yeah. of the day? I mean, the drone's a bit of an unusual drone. So we have, for example, three flight computers in the drone. 
three totally different avionics stacks. And what that means is, well, sorry, translated, each one of those stacks thinks it's in control of the aircraft. It's flying, it's reading all the sensors, it thinks it's in charge, but only one of them is. And then we have a hardware voting system that basically monitors the health of those flight computers and switches off to a different computer if something's going wrong on the main one. And, and the, you need three because two isn't a vote, it's an opinion. Three is a vote, right? So, and then we have two power systems, so our battery can totally fail. It can even, it can even if exploding battery won't stop our aircraft. Motor failure. We have eight motors instead of four. If you look at most drones today, they have four motors. Well, any one of those motors fail, there's no way to recover that aircraft. It's going to spin horribly into the ground with the propeller spinning. So we have eight motors. We can live on four, but we have eight. We have just all sorts of safety systems that are both heavy, expensive, and difficult. But it means that the, the, the mechanical part of the equation is resolved. And so we can fly at the same level of safety as commercial aviation over your community without anyone even need to think that there's an issue. And, and again, we're tightly regulated by aviation regulators. So you know, they've got oversight and they look at us as if we're both an airline and an aircraft manufacturer. So we have to have all the governance, all the process, all the safety systems of an airline, and then all of the process around designing and building an aircraft. It's really incredibly difficult. So how big, how big in size could this get before you're essentially flying autonomous airplanes? We, we are, I mean, so we're, we're autonomous now. No, no, but I meant how large? Like, could you deliver a couch? Oh, yeah, the cargo. So you, you break this, so the energy equation doesn't work above, we, we think about probably about five to 10 kilos of cargo. And what I mean by that, the, the cost of the energy and the depreciation on the battery versus the value of the product itself. But that, presumably that will change as battery technology continues to improve correct, and, correct. and composite materials for the drone itself continue yeah. to evolve. Well, like, the way you practically think about it, like our, our supermarket partner, Tesco, they have 19,000 different products in their store. And with our new aircraft, we can fly 15,000 of those 19,000 products. So choice is there, convenience is there. But yeah, you're not going to do your weekly shop. You're not going to say, I need five kilos of potatoes and, you know, a load of water from Fiji or something like that. You're going to go, the bulk heavy stuff, you're going to always source a different way. But the high frequency impulse or high demand things, you're only going to get by drone. And we can, as I said, uh, what do we fly? Three goes to six and a half pounds of cargo, 30,000 cubic centimeters is a lot of cargo. And it's, it's 95% of takeaway meals. Yeah, I, I work from home. There's plenty of, uh, you know, opportunities I can think of. I want a can of peanut butter right now. I Correct. want my lunch right now. I don't want to go out of my house and go to the grocery store because it's going to take me yeah. 35 minutes. Yeah. A bottle of milk is one of our most popular things we deliver. So, you know, we live in Ireland, right? Everyone's drinking tea 100 times a day. You go to the fridge, no milk. We have a super offer of milk, and you get milk to your house in four minutes. You might have made the tea, you might have made the tea, realized that there's no milk, and you don't need to remake the tea. We get there quick enough. It's just, you have to think about this as if your arm was three miles long, that's the way to think about it. You literally can reach into everybody and everything in the community and get what you need instantly. 
So it's a totally different behavior it's going to drive. So if we're talking to you in five years, as we kind of wrap it up, would you, uh, do you want to be in every country in the EU? Do you want to be saturated? I mean, what, like, what's your, and are you then an actual manufacturer opening factories that yeah. manufacture your own drones and then logistics and then delivery? Yeah, correct. We're going to be, think, think of Tesla. Tesla build their own cars. We'll be building their own aircraft so that we can control the quality, the safety, the scale. Scale is in our hands, then we do that. We'll, we'll have rolled out across most markets in Europe. We'll be in the United States and we'll be one of, I think, two or three of the big players. Um, will Amazon do their drone delivery? Yes. And will they do it well? Yes. They'll do a great job with it, but it will be for prime customers. And we want to be for everybody else. We want to be the arms dealer of moving things around quickly and efficiently. Power everyone to compete with each other. And we're the antidote to Amazon in that case. Thank you, Bobby. Very welcome. Pleasure. Thanks to Bobby Healy for sharing about a delivery method I would unabashedly call really cool. And for our What Could Go Right listeners, be sure to come back next week for part two of our Web Summit conversations. To find out more information about the Progress Network and what could go right, visit theprogressnetwork.org. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening with the Progress Network. If you like the show, please tell a friend, share an episode, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. What Could Go Right is hosted by Zachary Carabell and me, Emma Varvalukas. We're produced by Andrew Steven. Jordan Aaron is our production coordinator, executive produced by Jeff Ombro and the Podglomerate. Thanks so much for listening.